Good morning, everybody. I'm glad to see you this morning. It's a great privilege to be here, uh, even though you nearly froze me to death. I come from Orlando. It's not like this in Orlando. But um, I'm glad to be with you. It's good. It's good to be iced in every once in a while, I guess. If you have a Bible, you'll want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Not 23 like your bulletin says, but Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to read from the Word of God beginning in verse 34. So Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. This will be a passage of the Bible that many of you, if you've been around Christianity much at all, that you've heard before. But we'll pray and we'll hope that the Lord will teach us all today what he would have us learn from this portion of his word. Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we have just heard words that you spoke 2,000 years ago. Here we are today, wanting to know what you meant by this and what it means for us today. And so we turn to you, just like that lawyer did in his day. We turn to you. We call no one our teacher but you, because we hope in no one like we hope in you. We love no one like we love you. We hope to see no one like we hope to see you. And so we come to you now and ask for your Holy Spirit to come and to fill every heart in this room so that we may know the truth and be set free by it and be empowered to live in ways that please you. And as you do that, we will praise you and we will honor you for it. Amen. You ever notice that if you use your mobile phone much, do this app, that app, this app, that app, or especially if you travel from one place to another, eventually it doesn't work so well? Kind of gums up, kind of jams up, because so much stuff has been going on and you've been using it in so many different ways that it, there come these times when you have to do something none of us like to do and we feel like somebody's abusing us because we have to do it. We have to reboot. You have to start it up again. What? I got to turn the whole thing off and wait for a minute for it to start up before I can use it? Yeah, it's a real pain, isn't it? But it's the reality that when you use your mobile phone, things kind of get all mixed up and the priorities that are inside the mobile phone just don't seem to be there anymore. And so you got to start that thing up again. And it's a pain. But you know something, that's a great picture of what life is like. And I don't care what area of life we're talking about. I don't care whether you're talking about your personal life, your family life, your business, your social life, even your religion. The reality is you keep on using all those apps that are in your life. You keep on using the things, doing this, doing that, doing this, doing that. It's really easy for things to get all gummed up 
and confused in your life. And there come these times when you have to reboot. You have to sort of hit the reset button, start it up again. See if we can't get the priorities straight. See if we can't get the things that are most important back in the position of being the most important. So that then you can hit it again, start doing things again. And of course, in time, it's going to get messed up again. And so you find another time when you can maybe take a vacation. That's what vacations are sometimes. Got to clear my head. Take a little trip. Sit down and do something that's different than what you normally do. Get with some friends, get with your family, get alone, whatever it may be. But we all know that there are times when we have to hit the reset button in life. And again, it doesn't matter what area of life you're talking about. It's always true that all of us need to do it. Now, that's a lot different. That's a lot different than what a lot of us did this January 1st when we made our New Year's resolution. Because you know what that was like. I got to lose some weight. I got to get a new haircut. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to be better at this. Got to be better at that. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll make a resolution. But you see, most of those things are just trivial little things. And I would dare to say that most of us did not sit back and say, you know what I really need to do this January the 1st? What I need to do in 2017 is I need to get my life back in order, making the important things important and the less important things less important. Hit that reset button so I can start afresh and get it going again. Most of us are a lot more concerned with losing a few pounds than we are with getting our hearts straight, huh? Did I hear an amen on that? Yeah, I think it's true. Well, the passage that we just read is a passage where Jesus is basically asked this question. If we're going to hit the reset button, what's the most important thing to come out of it with? If you're going to get your life in order, you're going to start fresh, you're going to take a new perspective, you're going to do something that will be different than all that gummed up activity you've been involved with for so long, Jesus, uh, what would be at the top of the list? And as we're going to see this morning, Jesus answered that question. What's at the top of the list? What's the most important in ways that you and I seldom do? Now, the story here in this passage is that Jesus has been working with the Sadducees and the Pharisees a lot. They've had lots of arguments and things. These are the sort of religious experts. They're the ones that really knew the Bible and really knew what was important in life. And he'd been arguing with them. They'd been arguing with him. And... At one point, they notice that Jesus has kind of shut everybody down. Every question they ask, he either tells them it's not important or he tells them the right answer, and they're all befuddled at what he says. But a lawyer steps up. Now you know you're in trouble. A lawyer steps up, and he asks the impossible question to answer. And that is, Jesus, what's the most important thing about our religion? What's the most important commandment that anyone could possibly imagine? And Jesus actually gave him an answer. So let's take a look first at what Jesus actually said to this man. Because it's remarkably different than what most of us would have answered. I mean, ask yourself the question. I wish we hadn't read the passage so we could ask it fresh. But ask yourself honestly. What's the most important thing about 
your faith. Now we have people here across the spectrum of what faith might mean. Some of you might say, well, I don't have any faith at all. Some of you say, well, I got faith that there's a God, sort of, maybe. And others of you are very firm in what you believe, very clear about what you believe. But wherever you are on that spectrum this morning, whether you'd call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, it doesn't really matter. Ask yourself the question, what's the most important thing? What's the most important principle, the most important thing about your faith that you could possibly imagine? If you had to get it down into one thing, what would it be? And you know, Jesus answered that the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then he said, and the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you might be surprised to know that that's not the first time this question was ever asked of a rabbi. That's what Jesus was. He was a rabbi. Rabbis had always tried to figure out what's the most important. And I can tell you why. You know, this book here is a complicated book. They called it the law, the Torah. It's a complicated thing. And you know, the reality is, is that if you were trying to say, well, I know the most important thing is this book. Well, you have a whole lot of important stuff. And that's what this lawyer is dealing with. The fact that he knows this thing called the Bible. He knows the rules. He knows the principles. He knows the things you're supposed to believe. But he said, you know, we've got to get this thing down to one thing that we can put our teeth into and really hold on to, the most important of them all. In fact, in Jewish tradition, rabbis were asked that question a lot. Let me tell you what happened one time. There's a story that's told about a rabbi. His name was Shammai. And a teenage Gentile, a teenager who was a Gentile, came up to him and said, I'll convert. I'll become a Jew if you can teach me the law while I stand on one foot. Well, Shammai was kind of hung up on things, so he grabbed a stick and he beat this teenage Gentile and drove him away. But then the story is told that the same Gentile teenager went up to Rabbi Hillel and he said, Rabbi Hillel, I'll convert. I'll become a Jew. I'll believe. I'll take your faith if you can teach me the law while I stand on one foot. And Hillel looked at him and he said this. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else in the law is just commentary. So you see, people in the days of Jesus were struggling with this question. Can we get it down to one thing? Can we get it down to something that we can hold on to, that we can remember? And Jesus says, yes, you can. But boy, is his answer different from what you and I might be prone to do. Did you notice what Jesus said here in this passage? He said, now, we got this commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. You shall love the Lord. And he said, we got this other commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, that second one, the reason I'm going to mention that, it's because it's like the first. Well, how is it like the first? How is love your neighbor, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, like you shall love the Lord your God? What's, what's similar to those two? What connects the two? And you know what it is, is those first three words. You shall love. Love. If you were to boil down the faith that Jesus taught, if you were to get it down to the most essential piece 
If you're to get it down to the most important word, as far as Jesus was concerned, that word is the word love. Now, when was the last time you heard that said in a Presbyterian church? I mean, you might think you're across the street or something in some other church. Talking about love, that love would be the most important thing that Jesus believed about his own religion and that he wanted his disciples to believe about their faith too. That love is the number one principle that when you hit the reset button of life and get back to the most significant thing, that the answer is that word, L-O-V-E. And it's exactly what he said. Why did Jesus say such a thing as this? Well, I think it's pretty easy to understand because a lot of us, a lot of us in this room today would say, you know what the most important thing is? The most important thing of the Christian faith is that we understand it, that we learn about it. A lot of you do things like you go to Bible school, you go to Sunday school, you go to maybe some small group meeting during the week. You might even, if you're really religious, you might even read the Bible every day of your life. And what are you trying to do? Well, I'm trying to learn about my faith. I'm trying to get the facts straight. I'm trying to learn more. In fact, I found out the more I learn, the more I don't know. So I'm trying to learn even more and more and more and more. But I want you to understand something that Jesus did not say. The most important thing about your faith and mine is that you learn about the Lord your God. That's not what he said. Oh, yeah, of course, now we got somebody in here who's saying to themselves, you know, really, learning doesn't do it. The, the most important thing about being a Christian, the most important thing about being a Christian church is not that we learn about the Lord our God, but rather that we, here's the O word, obey the Lord our God. Now, that's important. Do the right thing. You've all seen the movie. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Being a follower of Jesus, what's that mean? Do the right thing. Now, what I got to do is learn what the rules are. I got the 10 big ones and I got a bunch more. And I'll tell you, you got a bunch more than just 10. But I'm going to do my very best to obey the Lord my God. That's the number one principle of my faith. And boy, do I feel good about myself because I think I'm doing better today than I did yesterday. But it's not what Jesus said. As much as you and I might want to say the central piece of my faith is to learn about God, learn this Bible, obey this Bible, do the right thing. The reality is this Bible of ours is so big and so complicated, you can't learn all of it. You can't even remember most of the things you've already learned. You can't do all the things that this Bible tells you to do. You can't even do all the things you can remember that you're supposed to do. Is that not true? Am I the only one here that believes that that's so? I've spent my life trying to learn this book. 
and trying to teach others about this book. I've spent my life trying to obey this book and teach other people how to obey this book. But the reality is that task is so mammoth, so impossible, that if we were to say that the most important thing about our faith is to learn about Jesus and to learn how to obey Jesus, then we have no hope at all of ever hitting the reset button and getting things back in order because you're just not going to be able to do it. So aren't we glad that Jesus didn't say the most important thing for you to do is to learn everything you can, get all your doctrines straight, get all your beliefs straightened out, and then put them into effect and start obeying them, obeying them. What's wrong with you? Obey them. Didn't you learn that yesterday? Yeah, but I forgot. Well, you got to learn it again now and obey it. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say that? And instead what he said was the most important thing is to love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. And why would he touch on that? Well, for one thing, he's quoting Old Testament passages, as we'll point out in just a moment. But there's something else here. Love, it's an attitude. Love is a disposition. Love is an emotion that's very deep-seated in people. It's it's outlooks, it's way of believing and thinking and living and breathing that you can have constantly. That no matter what circumstances you face, even if you can't remember what the Bible says about it, you can still love God. No matter what mistake you might make, what error you might have in your thinking, you can still love the Lord your God. Because love is something that's underneath all the other things that we do in our Christian faith. Love, love, love. Now, when was the last time you said, in all honesty, that the most important things in my faith and in my life is to love God and to love my neighbor? Mothers, it's hard raising children, isn't it? Did I hear another amen? Yeah. I mean, you know, when they're little, you can control them so you can make them do what you want to do. But man, when they become teenagers, it's like a nightmare. And so you're searching and searching and searching for the right answers, the right perspectives, the right things to do. And every mother in this room knows that no matter how hard you try, you just don't. You just don't make it. You fail. But you know that every time you fail, every time you make a mistake as a parent, you can still be in love with your children. And the same is true with your faith. Love the Lord your God, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, I kind of got it. I kind of understand that Jesus didn't pick the things that we normally pick. Going to church, going to Bible studies, doing the right thing, learning more. Nah, he didn't pick those things. 
He picked love. And we understand why. It's sort of underneath every other thing that he ever taught and that he wants us to believe and to live. But you know, it's a big problem here. Because while we may not talk much about love in church, which is weird but true, out there, they're talking about love all the time. Have you noticed that? I mean, love makes the world go round, doesn't it? All we need is love. Almost every song you hear today that's popular somehow has something to do with love. We'll even hear philosophers talk about love. We'll even hear people on sitcoms talk about love because everybody sort of like got love on their brain. But have you noticed that what they're talking about is all kinds of different things? I mean, we, love, we talk about loving pizza. I love football. I love you. I love him. I love her. Love is something that we use in a great variety of ways. Now, basically, in modern America, I think we know what love means. What people mean when they say, I love you, is basically, I take pleasure in you and you give me pleasure. Sometimes that's physical, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's both, but that's fundamentally what people mean when they say, I love you. It has to do with, it has to do with the erotic, it has to do with romance, it's coming up on February the 14th, men, if you forgot. Okay, it's already in the stores. Notice the pink hearts and things like that. Okay, that's what people think of primarily in our culture today when they think about love. They think about the feelings of romance, the feelings of the erotic, pleasure that you get from other people and pleasure you give to other people. Now, that's wonderful, but if you are super generous kind of person, then you have another form of love that you believe in too, and that's being kind to people. You know, what the world needs now is love, and that means be nice to people. You know, be, be generous with your time and be generous with your money. Don't hold grudges, things like that. And those are the kinds of things we associate it with. But for you and me to get to the point that we have love as the centerpiece of our faith, what we want to do is to have it the way Jesus had it. I mean, we want to understand what he meant by it. And believe it or not, Jesus' view on this runs almost utterly counter to what most of us believe. And because even followers of Jesus will push the word love out of their religion, but hold on to what the world around them tells us, what Jesus says here is that Love is something that even runs counter to what most of us believe. Now, to get it, you've got to get in a time machine with me. You've got to go back in time, back to the days of Jesus, to a world that's very different from ours. In fact, you've got to go back even further than that. You've got to go back, way back to the days of the Old Testament. Because do you know where Jesus came up with this idea that love for God and love for your neighbor are the most important things in his religion, in his way of life. Do you know where he came up with it? It was from the Old Testament of all places. 
You shall love the Lord your God is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. We read it earlier in the service today. Now, if you've ever read the Old Testament, if you're familiar with it at all, if you've ever been into it all, you may actually have read Deuteronomy. Way to go. It's one of those books that you can kind of read and go, wow, there's a lot of stuff here. But one of those things is, you shall love the Lord your God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Great. Most of us in the room today have probably heard of the book of Deuteronomy. It might be one of your sort of like favorite Old Testament books if you've got one. Okay, great. But what's really weird about what Jesus did is that he did not just refer to Deuteronomy chapter 6. He quoted another passage, and it's one of your favorites in all the Bible. It comes from your favorite book in your Bible, and it comes from your favorite chapter in that book. Do you know what book it is? Leviticus. <laughs> I mean, don't you just love Leviticus? You know, the one that tells the men not to trim your beards? The one that tells you where to dig the latrine? I mean, don't you like that book? Well, stuck in the middle of things like that, what color things to wear, what kind of sandals to wear, those kinds of things, is in chapter 19, this one little verse, Leviticus 19, verse 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, yeah, and don't forget to trim your beard. Now, would you have ever taken a passage from Deuteronomy and a passage from Leviticus chapter 19 and stuck those two together and said, this is the most important thing. Of course not. So why did Jesus do it? Why did he take these two verses that seem to be so incompatible and so distant from each other and stick them together and say, the second one's like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The answer is this, that before the days of Jesus and even in Jesus' day, love was used, this word love was used in a way that, well, it's going to sound strange, but let me go ahead and say it. Politicians used it. In the ancient world, kings would speak to their people. We actually have these things written down. You can read them if you could read Babylonian and weird things like that. You can actually read it. And what they would say to their people was this. To others who were to be their servants in their empires, their vast empires that would sometimes cover thousands and thousands of miles, they would say this to their people. I'm your great king, and what I want you to do, all of you out there in my kingdom, I want you to love me. They didn't say things like, I want you to learn about me and I want you to obey me. What they said was, I want you to love me. This is the language of empires. This is the language of kingdoms. This is the language of the world that Jesus was a part, that kings wanted their subjects to love them. And so kings would say, I'm like your father. You're like my son. Does that sound familiar to you? And they would say, because I'm your father and you're my son, what I want you to do is I want you to love me like I have loved you. I loved you first, the king would say, and now I want you to love me back. Sound familiar again? You see, these are the things that the Bible picks up on. 
because the Bible itself is also about a kingdom. It's also about an empire. And this empire that we often call the kingdom of God is in many respects the central theme of the Bible. It's what covers from Genesis to the book of Revelation. And it's this, how God the king is turning this earth into his kingdom. And as his kingdom spreads out, as this empire of God spreads from one end of the earth to the other, the great king who sits on the throne of heaven says to all those who are subject to him, the most important thing I want is this. I want you to love me. You're my children. I'm your father. I've done all these things for you, and I want you to respond with love to me. There's probably at least a few people here today in a group this size who would wonder, why would I ever love God? I mean, why do you talk about loving God? I mean, after all, I, I can't have the erotic with God. I can't talk about pleasure with God. And surely if there is a God, he doesn't need to be me to be generous toward him and kind to him or anything like that. Well, why do you talk about love for God? Well, let me tell you why. It's just like kings in the ancient world of Jesus' day. God is the king and God has done magnificent things for people, magnificent things all through history. He has provided for people. He's cared for people. And the greatest thing that God ever did was that he sent his own son, Jesus, into this world to make it possible even for you to have everlasting life and to be a part of a glorious kingdom that's coming to this earth one day where there will be no sin, where there'll be no troubles, no sorrow, no death, no suffering, no injustice, no shame. That's the kind of kingdom he's going to bring one day. And Jesus has made it possible for you to be a part of that. All you have to do is believe in him. Now, you see, God has done all of that. And he's done all of that for you. And it's because of what God has already done for you that he calls on you to love him. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, can you not see, can you pause for just a moment? I mean, I know life is miserable in many ways. And I know everybody in here has burdens that, are, that you feel are going to, to destroy you if you're not careful. But can you not take a moment and see that this great gift of Jesus and his gift of the Holy Spirit given to you, that the gifts of your church, the gifts of the purpose you have and the dreams and the vision that you have for life and your hope for the future, that these are great things that God has done for you that have shown you such mercy and such kindness that it makes every sense in the world for you to say, well, I know how to respond to that. I love him. In the ancient world of the Bible in Jesus' day, when kings called on people to love them, they called on them to see what they had done and to have grateful, loving loyalty and commitment and allegiance to their king because of what he had done. So that nothing was more important, nothing was more basic, nothing was more fundamental to their lives 
than to overflow with gratitude and appreciation and love for their God. And that's what Jesus is calling all of us to. You know how easy it is, don't you, follower of Jesus, to do the right thing because you know it's the right thing to do. And I may not feel like it and I may not think it's a good thing for me and I may not be all that enthusiastic about it, but by golly, I'm getting up because I don't want my wife yelling at me all day and I'm going to go to church today. I'm going to do the right thing. And so it gets down to this mechanical rote sort of, well, am I doing five out of 10, six out of 10? I feel okay. But you see what God wants from us is for us to be so aware of what he has done for us, so pleased that we of all people have been called to enjoy the gifts of God that our hearts would actually overflow with affection for him and gratitude for him, loyal love for him. And now you say, yeah, but what's that got to do with love your neighbor? Leviticus 19. I mean, that's the weird thing. Did you notice that the law, what the lawyer asked Jesus? He said, Jesus... What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus told him what the greatest commandment was. But he didn't stop. He couldn't just say one. He said, we got number one, but I've also got to add number two. Love your neighbor. Leviticus chapter 19. Hmm. Well, why would that be? Why would Jesus want you to love the person sitting next to you? Why would the whole Bible talk so much about you and me getting along? Why would it talk so much about you and me forgiving each other, being patient with each other? Well, get in that time, get in that time machine with me again. Go back again. Because I need to tell you something else that ancient kings used to say to their empires. Great kings would look at their people and they would say, I've done a lot for you. Now, what I want you to do is to love me with loyal devotion, loyal love. But then he would also say this to his people. Because I want my empire to be strong. Because I want my kingdom to keep spreading. Each of you out there, you are now brothers. And you are to love each other. This is what ancient people did in the ancient world. They understood that if you're going to have a kingdom, it's not just loyalty to the king. You also have to have affection. You have to have loyalty. You have to be allies with each other. Kings would tell their people the only way for our kingdom to be strong is if we stand with each other in service to the great king. And so it is that the Bible emphasizes so much that you and I are not simply to love God, but we are also to love our neighbor as ourselves, that we stand with each other in service to the king and his kingdom. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just have a really hard time getting along with people. I mean, I just really don't want to. 
I mean, I'm sick of it. This is the 10th time he's done that to me. And I'm just tired of it. And what I want to do is separate from them. Sometimes I even want to just be angry with them and hate them, eliminate them from our lives. Don't you feel that way sometimes? Then why is it that we should do otherwise? Why is it that right here in this church that you have husbands and wives who are at odds with each other and those odds that they have against each other, oh boy, they can be very genuine and very real and if they are, you need to go get some help. But why would you ever do anything other than just alienate yourself from each other in your families? Why in this church with all the different people, with all the things that are going on in your life and you come into some kind of conflict inside this church and I know it happens even in your wonderful church, why would you ever want to deal with the conflicts and be able to work together toward a common goal? Why would you want to be able to do that at work? Why would you want to do that in your small group, wherever it may be? Why in the world would we ever want to give up on our resentments and set them aside? Why would we ever want to give people the benefit of the doubt? Why would we ever rather be harmed ourselves than to harm someone else? Why would we ever want to do something that's as counterintuitive as that? The answer is because our king has told us that if his kingdom is to be strong, if his kingdom is to spread from this little church to all of Jackson, to all of Mississippi, to the uttermost parts of the earth, then you and I stand as allies together in service to his kingdom. Have you ever been a coach of a kid's basketball team or a kid's baseball team? One of the hardest things ever to teach young children when they're learning how to play basketball is that it's just as important to pass the ball as it is to shoot the ball. Am I telling the truth? Because you know what it is. You know how it is. They all think they're Michael Jordan. They all think that they can shoot the thing from anywhere. And every time they get the ball in their hands, shoot the ball, shoot the ball. Well, coaches have to teach Young children, and I hate to say it, but teenagers too, and even adults at times, they have to teach them to pass the ball, to play as a team. Yeah, I know you don't like that guy. I know he stole your girlfriend from you, but pass the ball to him anyway. Because our goal here is not for you to be the star, for you to stand alone. Our goal is to win the game. And how will we ever win this game for the universe? Only if we stand together in the bond of love. And this was so essential to what Jesus believed and what Jesus taught that he could not stop talking with just the first commandment. He had to go to the second commandment as well. Now, if you've been around Christianity very much, you know that you're, we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. We know this. So like, okay, whatever. But now you know why. It's because this is the way we further the goals of our king, whom we absolutely adore. But a lot of us treat the second greatest commandment a lot like, well, second place in a marathon. You know, the marathon yesterday was canceled, wasn't it? Was anybody going to run it? Come on, raise your hand. Anybody? All right, one person was going to run it. What's up with this church? They're not running the marathon. (laughs) 
Well, if you've ever seen, if you've ever been at the finish line of a marathon, very often, first person crosses the finish line, usually Kenyan, okay? <laughs> okay, not some doofy American. Oh, here it come, here it come. But the second, often, the first person crosses the finish line, and you have to wait for the second person. The second person may even be around the corner, may not even be visible. So you wait and you wait. That's what you call a distant second. You can have first place without second place even in view. But if you've ever watched a sprint, like in the Olympics, you know very often first place and second place only amounts to who leaned forward just a little bit at the last nanosecond. Who was just slightly ahead. And to discern between first place and second place, what do you have to have? A photo finish. There will be people in here who will claim to love God. I hope most of you will claim to love God. He is your king and he has done great things for you. And I hope your life is devoted to loyal love to him. But from Jesus' point of view... The second commandment of loving your neighbor, standing as an ally with the person who's sitting next to you today, it's not a distant second. It is a photo finish. And if you have number one in the frame, you're going to have number two in the frame along with it. Loving God will always entail loving your neighbor. This is why in the New Testament, in the book of 1 John, we're told this. If you cannot love your brother whom you do see, you cannot love God whom you cannot see. There are so many people who will destroy a church, destroy a neighborhood, destroy various portions of the kingdom of God, claiming all the while that they love God. But the problem is they do not love their neighbor as themselves. In the next few months, I'm coming back. Did they know that? Do your elders know that? All right. <laughs> we're trying to work out exactly when that's going to be, but we're trying to get me here enough times that I can come back to you, come back to this theme. Because, you know, loving God and loving your neighbor, we need to unpack that a little bit. We need to sort of work it out. Because while these are our deepest motives, our greatest dreams, something that should be constantly in our lives is something also we need to spell out and work out together. And I hope you'll come back. And I hope that by God's mercy, we'll be able to do that in ways that are very practical and very meaningful for you and for me, for this church, for this city. Because if there's one thing that this city and this church needs, it is love for God and love for neighbor. But today, what I'm calling you to today is to catch how significant it is that when Jesus was asked, Jesus, get it down to one thing because I can't remember it all, much less do it all. 
Get it down to one thing. His answer was as plain as it could be. Love is number one. Love for God and love for neighbor. And today, today, every one of us can recommit ourselves, hit that reset button, reboot that mobile phone. And we can say, you know, my life is gummed up with all kinds of things. And my apps really aren't working. What I need to do is hit it again, start over again, not with losing weight, not with getting into an exercise program, not with doing something trivial like that, but hit the button, reset to what Jesus said was the most important of all. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we bless you and we honor you. How good it is to have someone as kind as you who could fill our lives with this rule and that rule, with this fact and that fact, but who can then look at us and say, let me tell you what's most important. Now we come to you and we confess this to you. We simply cannot do this on our own. We need Holy Spirit to come within us and to transform us and to hit that reset button of our hearts that we may no longer be confused, that we may no longer take smaller things and make them larger, but rather that we will do as you would have us do. By his power, make us people who love you and who love our neighbors. And as you do that, we promise you this, we will praise you for it and we will glorify you for it. Amen.